Um, we do have warm coffee. I don't know if I mentioned that. So it's not going to hurt my feelings if for two reasons you get up to go get some coffee. If the first one is you're cold and you, you need to be warmed up, that's all good. The second is if I, my talk is boring and you need coffee to stay awake, that also will not hurt my feelings either. But uh, really glad you guys are here today. Um, when I was in middle school, um, I played for a homeschool basketball team. That was, that's a real thing. And, and since, uh, you know, I showed you my picture last week and you guys just had a, a nice hoot over uh, what I looked like in high school, I thought, you know what, let's go back a little further and I'll do it again today. So here is me in middle school. Um, oh, you did an awe today. God, you guys, you learn. You know, that, that, that feels good. Um, so I was a homeschool baller. I, I had the 20-inch blades on the Impala. You know how it is. Um, that, that was me. Actually, 20-inch blades on my mom's minivan, if you're, if you're tracking with me right now. But I remember the team banquet. Um, did anybody play, like, middle school sports? Um, okay, a couple of us. Good. Gail, you did. What sport did you play? You hooped? You got to come and hoop it up with us at the after school. She could dunk? You could dunk? Oh, you scored for the other team? We got to get you. We should do an open mic night about terrible middle school memories. Um, Are there any middle schoolers in here right now? Okay. Middle school is awesome if you're listening to this you're in middle school. Um, But there was, yeah, there was that, uh, the ceremony at the end of the year. And you'd stand on the stage with the team and the coach, you know, would take a minute um, to talk about each player. And uh, I remember it's usually, it's usually something that's encouraging and complimentary because you have the parents of all these kids sitting there too, right? So the coach uh, would say stuff that would make the parents proud. They'd make things up if you were terrible. They just, Jordan was really good at just being there, you know, like that sort of stuff. But I noticed uh, that whenever the coach got to me, uh, he would, you know, he'd be nice and, and, and like kind to everybody else, but then he'd get this little twinkle in his eye, he'd get a little sassy, and he'd be ready to say something like sarcastic about me, um, because that's just my personality, and he, he knew he could mess with me. It was, a, it was an okay thing, right? Um, kind of been that way my entire life, completely, completely cool, uh, but here's how the coach described me that year. Uh, he said, Jordan is the kamikaze of basketball. And some people laughed. Most of you didn't because you don't know what that means, and I didn't really either. So, like, uh, people out there are like, ha, ah, we know, he's, he's kind of crazy. And I'm like, ah, oh, kamikaze, is that like a compliment? Or is that, well, I don't know what that word means, right? Uh, my, my brother apparently did, um, and he always loved to, you know, see, see me. Uh, let's stop. We won't talk about my brother today. We'll talk about something else. Um, I did finally Google what the word kamikaze means this week for the first time. Did you know that it means divine wind in Japanese? Isn't that beautiful? So my coach was describing me, if, if that's what he meant, in the kindest, I know that's not what he meant, but if that's what he meant, uh, he was describing me in the, the kindest uh, possible terms. Um, like, Jordan, you are a divine wind whenever you enter the huddle. I mean, that's better than describing another type of wind and entering the huddle, I suppose. Um, but, uh, yeah, comedy session over here. Words. We use words to describe ourselves. There are words that others use to describe us. What words would you use to describe yourself? Uh, what words would you use to describe other people? Um, how would you describe your, yourself? What words would other people use for you? Today, I, 
I want to show you what I think is, I'd say, I'd say the most important words that should come to mind for us when you try to describe any person on earth, whether you know them or not. And I hope um, that after the talk today, if, if this is a new idea to you or new words, that um, you'll begin to look for this thing in people. And I hope that in looking for this thing that will shape the way you think about and treat other people. So I'm, I've been praying that the talk today, as simple as it's going to be, will change and deepen the way that you view a stranger at the grocery store or in traffic that uh, maybe even might shape the way you talk about your ex-girlfriend, ex-boyfriend, ex-husband, ex-wife. Maybe change the way you think about your parents or the way you treat your kids, how you interact with people of different cultures, um, the waitress who got your order wrong, the coworker that you are tempted to gossip about. Um, It really starts here and really maybe who you see when you look at yourself in the mirror that that might be informed by what we're going to talk about today. So have I hyped it up enough? I think so. Let me pray, and then we'll jump into Matthew chapter 22. Uh, Father, thank you for, the, again, the privilege of getting to be here and to, to get to be myself when I do it. It's such a privilege to get to be a pastor and to get to be your son and uh, a child of God and to just get to share this ice cold (laughs) room with my friends as we look to you, our creator. It's in Jesus name. Amen. Okay. So I'm, what I'm going to do is sometimes I will break down the text like verse at a time today. I just want to read you the whole thing. Uh, it's not that long. And then, uh, we're going to kind of jump to some other places in the Bible, but we're going to start at Matthew 22, uh, verse 15 through 22. And it says this, Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. So laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you will teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, their status. Uh, Tell us then... What is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Verse 18, uh, but Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? He was always able to kind of sense that. Then he said, uh, show me the coin used for paying the tax. Because he didn't have one. So show me the the coin that you used for paying tax. They brought him a denarius and he asked them, whose image is this? Whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. So let's review what happened here. Uh, Jesus is approached by a group called the Pharisees. Uh, Who are they? They were a religious group of people uh, who taught that if Israel, um, the only hope for Israel to have the kingdom of God come back would be if they become holy and pure enough. That that's what would bring the kingdom of heaven uh, to earth in order to overthrow the Roman Empire. 
Uh, and here's, here's what they did. They got so involved in the political balancing act of trying to influence the politics of their day and trying to gain power from a political situation while also maintaining their spiritual leadership in the faith. So they got intertwined in this time, and it was difficult for people to see where their faithful and spiritual life was and where their political agenda might be. I don't know if that sounds familiar at all. Um, Jesus threatened to this group. He threatened the power and control that the Pharisees had within their system. And it says that the Pharisees went with the Herodians. So there's a second group. So Pharisees and Herodians, they're going to Jesus to ask him this question. Who were they? They were uh, a political party who was invested in keeping the local power within uh, a family of the Herods. So King Herod and his uh, children. So these two groups who normally were not buddies, they normally were not friends. They shared a common interest in not having Jesus come to power. So they approached him with a question about taxes, about money. The perfect category to bring enemies together. And so they asked him the question that we read a second ago, uh, if it's right to pay taxes to Rome, which they thought was an unanswerable question because if Jesus says yes, pay taxes to Caesar, then they could uh, call him a Herodian, so a political party, and therefore uh, under the lordship of Herod, which would totally discredit him from his followers. So Jesus uh, isn't... You know, if, if he had done that, if he said yes, simply yes, uh, that Jesus wasn't a man of God and he supports the Roman rule. So that would have been a one way for Jesus to lose this conversation. Uh, if Jesus says no to pay the taxes, then they could go report him to the governor and get him arrested. So they're trying to trap him, right? And he sees that they're trying to trap him with this question about whether or not he should be uh, pay taxes uh, to the imperial tax. So either way, it appears that this difficult question was kind of a lose-lose debate for Jesus. But I love what Jesus does in these situations. He's always so brilliant. He responds by asking to see a coin, which is a denarius that looks like this, if you throw that up on screen. Um, This isn't a denarius, but I'm going to pretend like it is. A denarius was about a day's wage, and so at the end of the workday, you would receive your denarius, And you could see Caesar's image on that, right? So that you're associating your provision uh, with the person that is on that coin. So Jesus answers the question with a sort of riddle. He asks, whose image is on that coin? Which is obvious, right? Whose, Whose picture is right there? Whose image is on the coin that you see right now? And Jesus says one of my favorite lines in the whole Bible. It's, it's strange to be one of my favorite lines, I suppose. But one of my favorite lines, then he says, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. He pointed to the image imprinted on the coin. And that image imprinted on the coin determined its value, right? It's Caesar's image on there. Therefore, it has value. So give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. So what's God's? And that's where Jesus made this fascinating turn. He kind of 
gives us a riddle there. So give to Caesar what Caesar's. If Caesar's image is on this coin, what image is on what belongs to God? That's where Jesus made it fascinating and and where I'm going to turn for the rest of my talk here. Let me show you where else this idea of the image of God shows up. So Jesus is implying, give to Caesar the coins, sure, go for it. Give to God the thing to which God's image is stamped on. Image and likeness. We find in the very first chapter of the Bible in Genesis, at the sixth day of creation, this is where humanity comes into the picture. It says this, then God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move on the ground. This is the first time that the word image is used in the Bible. And it's used to say that there's something unique and special about human beings. An image imprint, kind of like the head on that coin that says, You belong to God. You are made. A little like God. At the moment of creation, human beings are made as God's crowning work to everything that he had made. In all the universe, we are made with a reflection, mysteriously, with the reflection of God's image and likeness. And those words can be used interchangeably there. That we, as human beings, have more in common to God than anything else. More than anything else, we point to what God is like. Not because we've worked our way up to become good enough for it, but because at the dawn of creation, it was endowed to us that we were given the image and likeness of God. Now, you might say uh, humanity is pretty awful. And yeah, we are. (laughs) It doesn't take much to see that, right? I would agree that human beings, even though we are created in the image and likeness of God, there's something about us that points to who God is. We are still capable of evil. And something happened to clarify Uh, our reflection of God when sin entered the picture. But the image of God was not entirely lost when sin entered into the picture. So you might think, Genesis 1, God made us in his image and likeness. That's really cool. Until brokenness entered the world. Are we still really kind of like God? Do we still reflect that beautiful thing that he put inside of us? I think yes. Uh, Genesis chapter 5 says this. uh, This was after the first murder recorded in the Bible between two brothers. Genesis uh, chapter 5 verse 1 recounts, When God created man, he made them in his image and likeness. He created them male and female to bless them. He named them mankind when they were created. The image and likeness of God was still on humanity even after they sin entered the picture. Genesis 9, verse 6, uh, even, even after the water had subsided after the global flood with Noah, if you're familiar with that story and the ark and the boat, it says this, God says this, whoever sheds human blood by their blood, their blood shall be shed for the image of God has God made mankind. Even after God pushed the reset button in that story on humanity, we still retained the image and likeness of God. 
That's why even though a child is born into a, a sinful world, they're still beautiful and sacred. There's a reformed idea called total depravity, which means we're completely helpless and broken from birth. And I think there's a degree of that's very true. But at the same time, when I, when I hold my children, when my son and my daughter were born, I did not first think, you are so totally depraved. Mwah. No, you see something beautiful, right? You see something that we cannot help resist and know that there's something higher and sacred within us that God has put there. And no matter how evil a person gets, there's still something redeemable within them. There's still something redeemable within every human being on the earth because the image and likeness of God is still on all people. Every person on earth from the moment of creation until today is a walking icon, a mysterious reflection of God. I want to show you a picture of my son. Uh, This is Lincoln. He was about two months old. When I took this picture, I have him on Fridays. Uh, My wife works on that day and I'm home with him. So that's kind of like my day off. When you're with your kids, it ain't a day off. (laughs) It's beautiful, but it's not really a day off. But uh, I took took the photo because I thought he looked cute and I sent it to my wife at work. And then I looked at it later and I, I zoomed in on the picture and I saw something that made the image and likeness idea of God really come to life for me in a different way. If you zoom in, you see the, the reflection of his dad in his eyes. That's not a Photoshop. That was, that was just there. And I, I had already started to kind of feel like after I had kids, I'm, I, I'm starting to get how God is like a part of us, a reflection of us. And then when I had this moment with him, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like that. It's like... God is reflected in our eyes. The smiling face of God is reflected in yours. You are made in the image and likeness of God. And I'll tell you, man, I'm not trying to make myself like, I'm not trying to prop myself up as God's status here. But if I can love my kids as much as God loves you, then, and I know he loves us more, then that is a big, 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 big love. You are made in the image and likeness of God. One of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 139, we don't have it on screen today, but it says that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Not just physically, but that God knit your personality together. He knit the you that you are together in your mother's womb that one day you would be born to be a gift to the world, that you would be a small reflection in your own unique way of a part of God that the world would be deprived of if you were not born. God took time not only to make your body, but to knit you together, your soul and your consciousness that would reflect a little bit of who God is. I'll tell you what, that for me informs every conversation I have with every person I come in contact with. I don't care what they think about the world. I'm looking at somebody 
who has the reflection of God behind their eyes. It's in the story repeated again and again. And Jesus, I love that Jesus says it too, right? Give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. Whose image is reflected on human beings? It is God's. This idea of likeness to God is repeated in uh, James, who was the brother of Jesus. He said this in, in James chapter 3, verse 9. With the tongues we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings too. Who, who have been made in, the, in God's likeness, the same sort of idea there, image and likeness, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. And I love how he says it here. My brothers and sisters, that should not be. That should not be. All human beings are created in the image and likeness of God. And anything that presents itself as a Christian idea but does not honor the image and likeness of God in another person, we should deny as a Christian thought. I know that sounded pretty harsh in your scan in your brain to to see how that makes sense. But I don't, I don't speak like this often, but I think this is such a core truth that we need to embody everybody. It doesn't matter what you're talking about, the circumstances of the situation, you are always looking into the eyes of somebody who's made in the image and likeness of God. So there's a value that you can't take away. And praise God, if you're feeling like the scum of the earth right now, that can't be taken away from you. No one can take away the value of the image and likeness of God that has been given to you. That means we got midterm elections, right? This is the only thing thing I'm going to say about this. That means maybe political smear ads, regardless of how you feel about the message, that should sort of bother you. In fact, I don't know if I've talked to anybody that likes those things, but is smearing the image of another person the best way to lead? I mean, my worldview thinks no. Or negative broad brush statements about groups of people which does not seek to honor the image of God within them, that should bother us too. What does James say again there? Brothers and sisters, that should not be... (laughs) We should not curse the image and likeness of God in any person. But even, be, even above that, you know, I'm talking about some negative things there. There's beauty and joy to be discovered within each other. I already said it again, but you bring something unique to the world that God put inside of you as a gift to the world. So you get the joy not only of seeing a different person standing in front of the mirror doesn't matter how insecure you are. Honor yourself. God made you with value that cannot be stripped from you, even if you don't think you have it. And above that, it means we get the joy of looking with curiosity at all people on earth in a search for where the image of, and likeness of God might be presenting itself. I've been to a couple of different places in the world, and I, I noticed it there too. Even as we can be so lost, there's something inside of every person on the planet that still shows 
a signpost and a clue to who God is. So wouldn't that change the way you approach conflict? Wouldn't that change the way you disagree? Wouldn't that change the things you might value? Wouldn't it make relationships kind of the most important thing in life? If you're looking for the image and likeness of God rather than whatever other things we look for. So in view of ourselves and all others, we are invited by God to take his view that we are created in the image and likeness of God. And as we do, we will be renewed more and more to be like Jesus, who really is the one to whom was the perfect reflection of God. It says this in Colossians 3. Don't, don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. That's deep. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in all. We were made to reflect the image of Jesus. He's the co-creator of the universe. He's the us at the beginning of Genesis 26. Let us make, let us make mankind in our image. And there came a point in human history, and we celebrated every week here. We, we dissected every week together, right? There came a point in human history when Jesus would step into human skin to show us the full expression of, of the image and likeness of God in humanity. So as we seek to live more fully into the imago Dei, as it's called, the image and likeness of God, Christ reflects that image perfectly. That's why we sing songs of praise, and that's why we examine his life, and we follow his lead every step, because Jesus is our perfect example of how to love. And he loved well. He engaged people well right where they were. Jesus gave us a practice to remember him by. It's called communion. And it's something we do to remember Jesus' life on earth uh, as God in a human body in order to show us the way back to God. And so it says in uh, 1 Corinthians Uh, Chapter 11, for what I have received from the Lord, I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. My friend, Jesus has come. He's given his life for yours. That's what this table represents. Communion, it's such a beautiful way for us to 
to think about the image and likeness of God too. Jesus was the perfect reflection of God that we get to take in in this symbolic act together. He's given his life for yours. The image and likeness of God is still a part of you and it's something that God treasures greatly. So we celebrate God's invitation today when we are going to take this bread and this juice as God's invitation back to the table. So in a moment, I'm going to pray here and come and invite you up to receive this symbolic uh, gesture of Christ giving his body and blood to us that we might, as Colossians said there, continue to be renewed into the image of our creator. (laughs) That the you that God created, that image and likeness, you'd live more and more into that. That there would be no other false identity that would try and steal your attention. That you're stupid, that you're dumb, that you're not worth it, that you're unlovable. Those are all things that don't come from God. He offers you life and life to the full. So when we do this, we get to Stand in that truth. So there's two ways you can do this. Um, there's these little, these are gluten-free things. Um, you can take the little flap off the top and there's bread in there and then there's juice in there. Um, you can gladly come up and do that. Otherwise, you can dip the bread in the juice. Um, and we, we like to kind of keep this open to how you feel like doing it today. Um, you can come on up with a group of people if you'd like and, and find a corner and, and do it together. Uh, or you can take one of these things back to your seats. Uh, and I always like to say that this, this is for anybody who believes in Jesus and for anybody who might want to, um, even have, have the desire to want to. Uh, while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us. So I think this table is open to you if you even might want to. So let me pray and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Uh, Lord, thank you again uh, for everything that we've heard in this moment, that uh, we are created in your image. I pray that you uh, whisper what that means uh, specifically to each one of us in here today. It's a question of our identity. Whose really are we? We're yours. We are your creation. We're your children created with your image and likeness. So I pray as we come to the table today that it will be a reminder that any other thing that tries to tell us who we are is nothing compared to who you say we are. In Jesus' name, amen. You can come forward when you're ready.